Hey everyone, this is Dr. Nick Hoffman at the Marist School. Welcome to Tales from the Social Studies Department, the podcast where the students tell you the stories that they wish were on the curriculum. Hey y'all, welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. My name is Allie. And my name is Emma. And we are talking today about the people secretly in power throughout U.S. history. We each selected a story to share. We're filming outside, so sit back and enjoy the stories and bird sounds. start us off with this with a story of Joan Cecile Quigley. Okay, Joan was born on April 10th, 1927 in Kansas City, Missouri to John B. and Zelda M. Quigley. Joan was the valedictorian of her class at St. Sarah Dix Hamlin School and graduated with honors from Vassar College. She returned to San Francisco after college and she had a really active social life, but she also got into a little thing called astrology. Um, According to her obituary, Joan became the toast of the town, one of the most beautiful women in the city, known for its most beautiful women. And she, so she became really active in the social scene, and I guess she met some people who introduced her to the stars and the moon on a deeper level. She wrote several articles for Seventeen under the name Angel Star, which I think is a super cool name. <laughs> it's a pretty good in the Seventeen vibe. Yeah. And, like, if you're going to be an astrologer, you better have, like, a star name, right? Fair. Yeah. She published Astrologies, Astrology for Teens in 1968 for 17. And then she, so then she, like, became even deep, more immersed in astrology. And she began to appear on shows like the Merv Griffin Show throughout the 60s and 70s. So she just kind of went, like, straight into the San Francisco scene. And apparently that just... Right in fame. Yeah, so at the same time, Ronald and Nancy Reagan had, you know, their own astrological leanings. They read their astrological charts daily. Um, in an LA Times story, a spokesperson revealed that Reagan purposefully never revealed his birth time so that his enemies could not predict his moves or control him by reading his charts. Which, you know, I mean, <laughs> if you believe that, then I guess that's smart to protect that. <laughs> That's so, like, extra. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a little odd. Um, he never directly, like, claimed astrology as his own. One um, one de- questioned about astrology, Reagan often deflected blame to his wife. So he would say, like, oh, well, my wife is really interested in it. But he mm-hmm. would never take that claim. Sounds embarrassed. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, he seemed to share his uh, Nancy's affection for astrology, though. And he's was known for being really superstitious. He would carry good luck charms with him. Um, he would never board a plane without his lucky cufflinks. Um, and he believed that Abraham Lincoln's ghost haunted the White House. <laughs> so he was willing to be, you know, known for that, but not for astrology. Um, so, let's see. Yeah. Uh, Joan volunteered for Ronald Reagan's presidential campaigns for the 1976-1980 campaigns. So she claimed that she knew, based off his astrological charts, that he would not win in 1976. Mm. But I guess she also knew that she'd have 
<laughs> yeah, because she also knew that she'd have a position later. So she's like, I guess I'll stick around for this campaign, which is doomed to fail. Um, yeah. Um, so Congress passed the um, Taiwan Relations Act um, at some point in like the 1970s. Um, and it was called, well, okay. Um, the Congress, Congress was, was, Jesus Christ, uh, Congress was controlled by Republicans. Um, so they called for, uh, the U.S. Taiwanese relations to be conducted by a non-governmental, uh, like contract yeah. or instrumentality, as it's called. Um, and then Reagan, uh, said that he wanted an official governmental relationship, which was the opposite of what his party had done in Congress, um, in a campaign speech. And in her daily guide, Joan had written the day before that she, that Reagan would misspeak on foreign policy and receive like, uh, backlash for that. Um, and so when the camp, when the campaign manager realized that Joan had predicted this incident, they were like, she has to stay. She's part of the club now. Because they were like, well, she can see the future, essentially. Oh, no. So she has to stay because now she's like, she can save this presidency. Yeah. So she worked on other projects after he was elected. But then on March 30th, 1981, John Hinckley Jr. attempted to assassinate Ronald Reagan. This incident seemed to intensify Nancy's dependency on astrology as she believed she could have, like, prevented it if only she had known. Like, if only she had read the charts or, like, had some or had an astrologer to tell her this was going to happen, yeah. they could have, like, changed the speech. He could, like, so, oh like, the trauma of seeing her husband, like, almost die. Yeah. Really, she was, like, she just got super interested in astrology after that. Um, yeah. And so a friend of Nancy called her to inform her that an astrologer friend named Joan Quigley had identified March 30th as a dangerous date for the president. Um, so, and Nancy also knew Merv Griffin because Nancy and Ronald were in the, like the Hollywood mm -hmm. scene. And so she called, uh, Joan. So, cause now she had like two friends saying that like, this was a good idea. Um, she called Joan and she was like, please keep him safe. Will you work for us? And so Joan asked for like 24 hours to think it over mm -hmm. and she accepted um, she insisted that she be paid by the hour with a 30,000 a month retainer, which is about 90,000 or 9,000 today, not 90. Um, and so she would later describe her job to the Washington Post saying, this is technical work. It's not some sort of crystal ball gazing. I do political astrology, which means I chart full moons and new moons and ingresses and eclipses and great conjunct conjunctions and cycle charts of the major planets. I feel like it's still guessing. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I have no idea what political astrology is, but that'd be a really fun major in college. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, apparently to Joan, Reagan's horoscope was amazing. Quote, Ronald Reagan has a brilliant horoscope. I went to work for his campaign in 1980 because he had the most brilliant horoscope I'd ever seen in this country, this century. He would have been a great general. His son is in the midheaven, which is part of the United States horoscope that rules the president. His stars are very lucky for a country. And he has three planets in the sign of of the exaltation, which you almost never see. Three of them are in the exaltation, and that's just extraordinary. I've done many historical horoscopes, and I've never seen anything like it, end quote. Yeah. She seems interested. Yeah, and she says that, like, there's, like, a United States horoscope that rules the president, which is kind of confusing. But I guess, like, there is a birth date for the United States, Fair. you know, but, um, I think it's funny that she says like he could have been a great general, <laughs> you know, um, trying. Yeah. 
During her time with the White House, Quigley essentially acted as, like, a public relations specialist for the White House. And so she would, like, pick dates, and she would make sure that, like, they said the right things. Um, So she signed on for, like, way more than just being an astrologer, apparently. They used her to schedule the Air Air Force One trips, speeches, press conferences. The State of the Union addresses all came down to her. Oh, my gosh. Quote, virtually every major move and decision the Reagans made during my time as White House Chief of Staff, Donald Reagan, former Chief of, former Chief of Staff Group, was cleared in advance with a woman in San Francisco who drew up horoscopes to make certain to make certain that the planets were in favorable alignment for the enterprise. Yeah. Yeah. She so she did way more than astrology, but she did a lot of selecting the dates and she was essentially like their PR specialist. She modified Nancy's images or image, um, she persuaded Reagan to stop calling the USSR the evil empire and suggested that he work, that he um, should work with Gorbachev to end the Cold War, saying that the, two's, the two had uh, stars that had good vibes together. Hey, I mean, whatever works. But ending I feel the like, war. honestly, like, all, like, she used astrological ju- justification for all of this, but, like, any person could have told Reagan... Maybe don't call the USSR the evil empire. Yeah, it would have made sense. (laughs) Maybe try working with them to end the Cold War instead of just, you know, amping up nuclear weapons. So feels like she's just trying to push her own, like, political agenda with her star sign. She honestly just has, like, basic knowledge and smarts. And then she's like, oh, yeah, but the stars said this. (laughs) Yeah, Not me. The universe. Yeah, not me. She's like, I mean, it would be smart to stop comparing your Russia to... You know Star Wars, but you know, but only the stars can know that apparently. Um, so she picked the time for his meeting with Gorbachev in Geneva and all subsequent subsequent meetings. Um, quickly told people that quote she had astrologer friends call, call me saying Reagan must have had his chart done end quote after they noticed many of Reagan's political moves were timed for optimal celestial intervention. Yes, Quigley never admitted. Um, that, like, she was their astrologer for the president until later. Mm. But um, she would, so she would just say to her friends, quote, yes, he must have been consulting someone, end quote. (laughs) Yeah. And then, so, while she, like, set these dates, she, like, soon began to weigh in on political Mm. decisions, like she did with Gorbachev. Um, When Reagan visited a German military cemetery in Bitburg, Germany, where 44 known Nazis were buried, Joan, like, helped defuse the situation. Mm. She kind of made sure, like, you know, his public image was kind of saved. Yeah. Um, She also helped manage Reagan's image during the Iran-Contra situation, which, like, it's crazy that this, this, like, person who believes in horoscopes and, like, her literal job is astrologer, and she's, like, in, like, one of the biggest scandals, like... (laughs) And like the, in the U.S. government, like that's just, that's just crazy to me. Um, yeah, and then Reagan selected Donald Reagan at his as his chief of staff for his second term in 1984. And Nancy and Donald like did not like each other. Ooh, beef. Honestly, he shouldn't have names. Like, it's so confusing to have Ronald Reagan elect Donald Reagan. Oh, like why would you do that? That's just not helpful. So there were many reasons that Donald should not have been there, but Nancy and Donald. They were not friends. Um, and so in 1988, with only eight months left to Reagan's second term, um, Reagan took revenge, like, against, because he apparently did not get along with many people. Um, he took revenge with, for the record, a million-dollar tell that revealed Quigley's hidden influence. 
who called um, her out. Yes. And like embarrassed everyone. Um, many of the details researched for this podcast came from interviews that he or his spokesperson gave. Like we only know some of the stuff because he told us. Yeah. So the story shocked the world because there's an astrologer running the White House. Yeah. And it mortified Nancy because he, he did not name Joan, but reporters like found her and she like didn't hide questions. She was like, oh, yeah, that's me. I know. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, maybe show a little discretion if you're being hired by the White House. But I don't know. Okay. Um, and while Nancy's reputation never quite recovered, the president actually didn't receive any damage to his reputation, despite his own superstitious nature. Lucky. Yeah, because, well, he always denied it, even though, like, he clearly believed it, too. Mm-hmm. Um, and after the story was released, released Reagan desired, denied using quickly personally. And so, he, and he said, quote, no policy or decision in my mind has ever been influenced by astrology, uh, end quote. <laughs> and then in 1990, Joan wrote a book. So they're all just, they're just filling all the secrets. And all the books out there. All the prizes. Just publish everything. It's very helpful for research. <laughs> um, in 1990, she wrote a book titled, What Does Joan Say? Colon, My Seven Years as a White House Astrologer to Nancy and Ronald Reagan. So, you know, kind of gives it all away. Um, and she wrote it about her time in the White House, obviously. And she claimed that the title referred to the question the president, the president consistently asked his wife. So even though Reagan says like, oh, I didn't, I, I never let her influence my decision. Apparently he would always like say to Nancy, like, oh, well, what does Joan say about this decision? So Nancy Ooh. would talk with her and then come back and feed information to Reagan. Third party. Yeah. Cause Nancy kind of like controlled him cause he was, yeah. he's an actor. He was really mm. good at speaking the, the speeches, but Nancy would just be like, here's what you're going to say. Yeah. So that's girl boss. That's moment. the story of how she essentially how Joan Cecile Quigley took over the White House. She died on October twenty first, two thousand fourteen, the age of eighty seven. That's but, actually wild. I don't know. I'm not yeah. like the biggest like astrology person, but like the yeah. fact that they were so into it is like crazy. Yeah, and imagine like all those people studying to become like politicians, and this woman just like goes to like a normal college and then like, comes back to San Francisco and just gets really into astrology, and all of a sudden she controls the White House. Power play. Right? That's, like, very impressive. Mm-hmm. I would definitely agree. Okay, well, thank you for sharing that. That was really funny. Um, mine, I'm going to, like, give a little bit of backstory and then just share, like, like get your opinion on, like, bits of conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. I'm down for conspiracy theories. There you go. I yeah, think they're so fun. So, death, taxes, and conspiracy theories, the inevitables. Um, but I want to talk about one of the biggest broad conspiracy theories in the U.S., so secret societies, specifically the Freemason Society. So I'm sure you've heard of the Freemasons in some form before. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been featured across pop culture and in well-known movies like Nicolas Cage's National Treasure. Um, and they've been around technically since the creation of the United States. Um, and whether it's publicly known or not, the Freemasons have essentially been involved in every part of American society and major decisions. With this involvement, they've been accused of crazy things like satanic practices, secrecy, murder, and other conspiracy theories involving political movements and historical events. So I first came across the Freemasons when I was little. Um, Growing up in Buckhead, I was frequently passed this like really weird building on the corner of Peachtree Road and Deering Road, right before the 85 bridge heading towards Midtown. Mm -hmm. So it sits on the middle of this like gated property with a very well manicured lawn, clean driveway, like everything seems normal from the outside, normal flags, everything. Mm -hmm. And then you go around the building, and it gets super weird. 
like the giant Masonic logo on like the entry thing is like the most normal person. Mm-hmm. It's like the double like pyramid that has the symbol mm-hmm. in the middle. Um, but there's no windows. No windows. Nope. It's this big like stone looking building, one material, very boxy, no windows. Doors only, like, the entry doors are, like, on the basement level, kind of looking. They have tiny little squares that, like, look like windows, but you can't see in them. So they're so secretive. They can't have people driving by and looking Mm. in to see all those secret dealings. No windows. Murders, apparently. Apparently. And the even weirder thing about this building that freaked me out when I was little is when you drive around the back corner of it, there's, like, uh, doors on the outside of the building. But there's no staircase. It's just doors leading to nowhere so like you're on the third story like up there it's just a door i hope they lock that mm-hmm. i would definitely be the person to open that door and just fall exactly <laughs> that's what always freaks me out so why would you build it that way exactly we did find out later that it used to be connected by a staircase but mm-hmm. instead of like covering it on the outside they just sealed it on the inside and left the doors which really doesn't help like the persona of like yeah strangeness you know maybe they can fly (laughs) yeah but even with that like we know they like masons like meet they always meet on the second floor of the buildings which is why the like entry doors like the ones that like technically Mm -hmm. public could access are on like the basement level so that's not the first floor is the second floor well like where people go in Mm -hmm. isn't the level that people meet yeah um and then pretty much we learned about the doors uh but there's honestly no explanation for anything else in the building. We don't know why there aren't windows. Don't know why, like, everything is super sealed off. Like, it looks, like, normal-ish from the outside. And then when you actually look at the building, it's crazy. But all we know is it's Fulton Masonic Lodge, number 216, located inside the Atlanta Masonic Temple. Nothing else. No, like, public events, like, specialized, like, no descriptions. Pretty much nothing. It's a weird contrast because, like, if there's... A secret society. It's crazy that they have, like, a place called the Masonic Lodge at mm-hmm. all. But then they're still very secretive. Like, yeah. They like, we're here. We're here, so you can't say we're being secretive. But also, yeah. you don't get to know anything. You don't get to share the space as us. Like, exactly. Nothing. Uh, so, zooming back out to the National Freemason Society, it's a general public. Like, we don't really know anything about them. It's highly secretive. And even spouses and family members. It's only men. Uh, mm-hmm. Only spouses and family members... Like, they've been barred from knowing anything about rituals, traditions, or, like, general membership information. Um, And we now, like, think we know some members of Freemason societies um, from, like, all different time periods and career paths, including George Washington, Theodore Roosevelt, John Wayne, Henry Ford, Booker T. Washington, Mark Twain, Buzz Aldrin, and others. We don't know their full extent of membership, and it's not, like, completely confirmed like what their role in the freemason society was yeah. the real question is probably like did they get in before or after their accomplishments because that's exactly. where it gets conspiracy theory ish mm-hmm. because like you know if they joined after like well that kind of makes sense the society you want the president you want yeah. the man who walked on the moon to be in your society but like if they were just people who joined and then all of a sudden they were the president and they were the man who walked on the moon that's where it gets like, safe. it's a little fishy yes i agree <laughs> uh so I, like, got really into the Freemasons, especially, like, National Treasure, but <laughs> I first heard about them when I was on tour in UVA with my older sister, so I was still in elementary school at this time. Um, but the University of Virginia has a ton of secret societies, Yeah. and my cousin went there, and we don't know if he was actually in one or not. You can ask him, and he'll be like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, I did a tour there, and they said, like, 
they only you only find out like at their funeral. Mm-hmm. So some that are less secretive, it's after thirty years, but then other ones are funeral, and sometimes you still don't even know. So like I don't understand why it has to be so secret. Um, but they kind of like follow like the Freemasons, like it's super intense, but like that brings still the questions of like what don't you want discovered? Right. So, like I was saying earlier, there are thousands of conspiracy theories regarding the Freemasons and their involvement in American society. And some are hysterical, but also could be totally true, which is kind of concerning. Um, but I thought I would share five short ones I found and see if you think they're, like, true or, like, get your opinion on okay. them. Um, so I'll super briefly explain and then get your opinion. Okay. Um, the first one is in the field of politics. Like I said earlier, most everyone hates taxes, but same time every year, the form comes around and the whole process happens and you pay your taxes. Right. Um, so one conspiracy against Freemasons is that they created income tax. Tax protesters supporting this theory claim that the IRS and federal tax are part of a deliberate plot perpetuated by Freemasons to control the American people and eventually the world, as reported in the New Hampshire New Hampshire Union Leader in 2007. So, what do you think? Are income taxes really only going to the government or, like, the Freemasons? Um, I would probably say government, but I wouldn't be, like, yeah. shocked if there's, like, you know, just, like, a little diversion in the spending. You know, okay. Just, like, a little baby bit went to secret society. Just a tiny bit. <laughs> I would agree with that one. Um, connected to one of the, like, biggest like world and nationwide conspiracies um it's theorized that the freemasons faked the apollo 11 landings Hmm. um which they had buzz aldrin like it's reported to be a freemason so like they have some on the inside but there's also a ton of public distrust in official accounts because the landings happened similar to watergate times and because no one trusted nixon and i think it's over 14 american presidents have been like rumored to be um freemasons that people just assume that there's like it's also a connection like the cold war in the space race so like exactly they like nixon lied about was it nixon or reagan i think it was reagan who did, he like lied about having like the star system or something yeah. like yeah. secret weapons so like it, and nixon spied on everyone it makes sense that people don't trust that like you know these things exist because they're trying to yeah. present a strong powerful facade and mm-hmm. Yeah, if, like, presidents and Buzz Aldrin are involved, then it could be possible. I don't know. I, I think by now, at least, some of these missions have actually been true. So, so you think the Apollo 11 was real? <sighs> it's done. I'm going to say yes. But, yes? Mm-hmm. Fair. But it is, you know, there's a little bit something, like, I don't know. No. There's something fishy that could have gone down, because, you know, it was just a strange time for the truth. Agreed. Okay, so this one feels pretty accurate and a lot more like an observation than a conspiracy theory. But it's alleged that the Freemasons have inter- Okay, um, but it's alleged that the Freemasons have intertwined various symbols and numerology into modern culture, such as corporate logos like ABC, Exxon, Dell, Johnson and Johnson, Warner Brothers, and Mastercard. So have you noticed it? And do you think it's coincidental or like intentional? I haven't noticed, but I think that's absolutely possible because like it has like powerful white men and powerful white men found companies fair so like yeah i think that's totally possible that like they were involved in those and so seems easy and maybe it's a symbol for something else like hey guys if you're a freemason well i'm the ceo and i'm also a freemason so like you want to make connections we can talk we can talk (laughs) fair okay the next two are my personal favorites Mm -hmm. and i think it's probably more concerning whoever came up with them 
than actually what the Freemasons okay. are. Uh, but I don't think I can actually even explain them. Uh, but just honest reaction. Okay. So the first of the wacky ones, number four, also involving space. Um, so remember that the Freemasons infiltrated the ranks at NASA and helped to deceive the public to hide that the Earth is actually flat. So flat earthers and Freemasons. Thoughts? The Earth is not flat. The Earth is very much round. I don't know, Emma. <laughs> could it? Could, could it? Could it be? I mean, I if like Freemasons that Freemasons are real. I like that this theory, you know, has them invading NASA. Because most theories just are like, NASA's lying. Yeah. This one has, like, substance behind it. That's fair. But I don't think the Earth is flat. Agreed. Okay. Um, and last one, number five, and by far the weirdest thing I think I've ever read. Um, the Freemason Society, Illuminati, and other secret societies are run by humanoid reptiles. Mm. Mm-hmm. Humanoid reptiles. I don't know who came up with that, um, but, but it's, it's actually everywhere. everywhere. It is. So yeah. that's the theory. I don't know. Do they exist? Are they powerful? Like, I just think of, like, a little spaceship coming down and, like, one of these weird things, like, you will control you. Like, I can't, like, fathom that that's a thing. It's a very human way of controlling people. Like, mm. using, like, secret society and money and power to, like, secretly control society. So I think it's actually too far-fetched. Like, I think a humanoid yeah. reptile would be much more obvious about it. True. And if all the people in our government are reptiles, then, like, there has to be, like, a whole like, side of the world we don't understand. Amphibian branch. Yes. Like, it's impossible for there to be that many humanoid reptiles. Okay. <laughs> um, I think that's it for mine. Yeah. Um, that was interesting. Yeah, it was a good time. Yeah. Um, I guess that wraps up this episode. Nope, I'm good. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you for listening and hope you enjoyed. Don't trust anything. <laughs> Tales from the Social Studies Department is a podcast of the Marist Podcasting Experiment, and executive produced by Dr. Nick Hoffman. All views expressed herein are the views of the podcaster and not of Marist School, Dr. Hoffman, or the Social Studies Department at Marist School. Thank you.